0: There we go. Now the green light is on. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes. After 30-some years in IT myself, there's nothing like it when it works, and there's nothing worse than when it doesn't. So, you know, we've come to depend on it. George Whitfield used to preach out in the fields out in the East Coast, and he used to preach to tens of thousands of people with no amplification, and they could hear him all the way in the back. You can't hear me 50 feet, so it's okay. Nonetheless, all right, so one of the things that, that happened uh, during that time of Jesus' burial, of course, and his death was that there's conspiracies that he didn't really die. And so this made me think about, you know, some of the, some of the conspiracies that, that I read up um, this week, and some of them are, are ones that we've all heard before, like, you know, possibly that uh, there was more than one person who killed. Kennedy, maybe there was a second shooter on, a, on, the, on the hill somewhere. And then who killed Oswald? You know, we know that one. The other one that comes to mind, of course, is, the, is that the moon landing may have been staged by the government. Um, I really hope that one's not true because, honestly, I'd love to believe that we actually did land on the moon. I feel like I'm okay with that. Um, other ones, you know, like Hitler possibly did not die in a suicide. That maybe he lived and somehow he moved to South America and ended his days out there. That's another one. Or the other one that's come up is like the Holocaust didn't really happen. That all the Jews were not killed in those terrible ovens. I find that one hard to believe. That there's so much evidence that that happened. That is is a false conspiracy. Or here's, there's some funnier ones. So this is one. You know, that we live in Colorado, and I lived in Denver, and Sherry and I were there when they were building DIA, the, the airport up there. But there is a conspiracy that possibly the Illuminati has an office underneath DIA and is secretly running the government from there. I don't know. Kind of hope that one's not true, to be honest with you. But there's some crazy ones, like that the Nazis came from Middle Earth and possibly still live there that, that were sheeple. And that our overlords are lizard aliens. And, uh, you know, I'll leave it there. But so there are things that we believe. Maybe some of you actually believe those conspiracies. And I'm not here to argue with you that they exist or they don't exist or to offend you. But it is important for us to know that Jesus truly died. He truly died. He is dead. The conspiracy that Jesus' body was stolen is not true and we're going to learn today why that's important we need to know that he was really buried because if he wasn't really buried then of course there is no resurrection no atonement for our sins no chance of being forgiven we would be lost in our sinfulness we would still be waiting for the messiah jesus would not be the one whom god would send and jesus would be a liar But it is also important for us to understand this, that when we discuss that Jesus died, and then when we think through this, and hopefully you think through this like I thought through this, you know, when I thought at first as a young Christian, when somebody told me that Jesus died, I actually would go and say, well, God died. So let me think, let's think through that, okay? Because this is really important for us to get, before we actually move forward, okay? I'm so glad to see you, Antoinette. Thank you for coming. Um, anyway, we know that Jesus was human, but he was also God. And so if Jesus was God and Jesus died, does that mean that God died? No. And let me show you how. Because we know that, God, or that Jesus had two distinct natures he is fully human and he is fully man those are distinct natures of the same essence and god jesus is never without his humanity or without his deity john provides us this and and we call this the hypostatic union so that's the fancy theology dollar 50 probably with inflation now it's probably five dollars that word is so the hypostatic union, the fact that Jesus has two distinct natures that never cross, and he's never without one or the other, okay? And John, actually, in his gospel, tells us this. He shows us this right at the very beginning of his gospel. Let's read John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? Jesus, being the Word of God, was God, and he was with God. And then in John 1:14, John says this. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so in these two verses, we can see right away that Jesus is God. But he also came down from heaven and became a man. He put on human flesh, which, by the way, he has never taken off. So he is fully God, and he's fully man. So why does that matter? Because when we think about God, God is eternal. God is unchangeable. God cannot die. So God did not die with Jesus. His humanity died. His human body died for sure. But God did not die. Take that to the bank. Because if God could die, we would all be in big trouble. But God is unchangeable. He is eternal. He cannot die. So think of it this way. So when we die, our body dies. But we have a soul, and our soul doesn't die. In fact, if you are in Christ, your soul is united with Christ in heaven, right? But if it is, if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in Christ, then you are you suffer in hell so you are separated from god for eternity hebrews two seventeen says this therefore he jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of god to make propitiation for the sins of the people jesus then as the spotless lamb of god the one who knew no sin but became sin for us was obedient to his father's will, and he went to the cross willingly, shed his blood to make the final sacrifice, the full atonement for our sins, taking the wrath of the father on himself, sparing, the, sparing those of us who put our faith and trust in him for our salvation from having to face the wrath ourselves. So if that's completely confused you or hopefully cleared that up now, we can actually start to look at our passage this morning. John chapter 19, starting in verse 38 through 42. This is the word of God. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Since the lamb was closed, or yeah, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your steadfastness. We thank you, God, for your eternal nature that we know that even though Jesus died, you did not die. Father, we thank you for that. We can hold on to that and know that you are always in control. I pray, God, that you would help us this morning to understand the importance of the burial and the story of the gospel. Lord, that we would understand why this is so important to understand as we look forward to next week's resurrection. Lord, we thank you again and just ask that you would speak through me, Lord, through all of this word that you have given me. Lord, that this would be your word. You would open our hearts and minds to hear what it is that you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first point that we want to look at, and and I I want you to understand that I am going to look at this passage backwards, which I never do, but I've never preached this passage before. And preaching it makes sense to me to preach it the second two verses first, and then come back to Joseph and Nicodemus as our point to take home later. So we're going to look at verses 40 through 42 first. We're going to find out why Jesus' burial is so important. Reading verses 40 through 42, again, to remind ourselves of where we're at. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So, the first thing to understand about Jesus' burial and why it's important is because it is an essential part of the entire gospel message. And we know that because even Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. You see, the burial is important and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So simply speaking, what Paul is telling us there, that without the death and burial of Jesus, there really isn't a resurrection. There is no resurrection. Now that part seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But what if Jesus had really not died? What if he hadn't died? What if somehow his death really was faked? If his body was stolen or you know, they actually hid him somewhere. Maybe he went to Bolivia with Hitler. You know, that, that's terrible. I'm sorry I even said that. There, there wouldn't be a burial. I know I'm, I'm going to get letters for that. Sometimes when you go off script, you say stupid things. That was one of them. Anyway, but he didn't, and this is going to be why. So as I mentioned earlier, I know Matt's laughing like crazy because he's going to get me for that. As I mentioned earlier, without the death of Jesus, God's wrath against our sin wouldn't have been satisfied and we would still all be rotting in our sin. Jesus wouldn't be the propitiation for our sins. He wouldn't be the spotless, perfect lamb of God. He wouldn't be the word of God in all his glory. He wouldn't be the one whom John the Baptist said he was unworthy to untie his sandals. Jesus wouldn't be the light of the world. He wouldn't be the head of the church. We wouldn't recognize his birth at Christmas. There wouldn't be Christmas. There would be no Easter. There would be no hope of his triumphant return to take us home with him, his saints. I wouldn't have met any of you. None of us would be here today. It would be a waste of time. Jesus would have been a liar. Everything would change because of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his burial which led to his resurrection. It touched all of society. If it hadn't, Jesus would have just been another false prophet. And it's probable that none of us would have ever even heard of him. There would be no record of his life because the New Testament and the New Covenant would not exist. We would still be pagan Gentiles. We would not be grafted into the branch, adopted by God as his children. We would have no hope. Now, I know that some of you would say, well, the other part of the word of God is that he was going to send his Messiah and it might have been somebody else. And yes, that could very well be true. But we would not know that right now. We would not be here. We would still be off in our sins somewhere doing whatever it is that we're doing. But the good news is, is that Jesus was obedient to his father's will. And he did die, and he was buried. D.A. Carson wrote, It was not nails that held Jesus to the wretched cross. Get this, get this. It was his unqualified resolution out of his love for the Father to do his Father's will. And it was his love for sinners like me, like us. That's what held Jesus there, not the nails. He could have come off that cross if he wanted to. The burial of Jesus is important because if if a person isn't buried, a person isn't buried unless they're dead. It lends itself to the affirmation of his death so that there can be a resurrection, the hope of things to come. One scholar put it this way that the Romans were experts at identifying the dead because they killed a lot of people they crucified many that was a normal way of killing people so when the centurions went to Pilate to report that jesus was dead we can't be fully assured that jesus was really dead his body was lifeless in the past two years sherry and i have been to the funerals of my father and and her mom And when you go to funerals, as I know some of you have also had funerals in your life over the last little while, you can see the finality of the death of the body. You know, and and Matt and I have talked about this because as pastors, you do funerals and you go to lots of funerals sometimes. and, And what still creeps me out is an open casket funeral. Now, I don't mean this to be offensive, but listen, you know, when you look upon the body of a loved one in a casket, There's no life left in the body. The heart doesn't beat. The chest doesn't go up and down with every breath. The eyes are forever shut. No words of love or adoration will ever come from their mouth. And yet, when a wife or a, a husband gaze upon the deceased body of their beloved, they grab a hold of their hand. And then they bend down and they kiss them on the lips for the final time. They mourn with tears of utter heartache. They are not thinking about how creepy it might be to other people on the outside because this is the last chance they get to say goodbye. They are remembering a life that was lived together, children that were raised, problems and illnesses that they overcame, life that they just did together and the good and the bad of it. Vacations they took, maybe arguments that they may have had and got over and made up. And they're waiting until the casket is shut and the body in the casket is put in the hearse and they're buried in the ground and dirt is thrown on it and the only thing left are the memories. Now, if they're Christians, there is the knowledge of a reunion in heaven, but their time on earth is complete. So, such as it must have been for those who were there witnessing Jesus' death, Jesus had explained time and time again that he must die, and then on the third day he would be raised again. But did they really believe that? If we were there, would we really have believed that? Would we have understood what he meant when he said that at that time? And it appears in Scripture that some of them didn't because we know that Thomas, he wanted proof that Jesus had risen even after he had been told that Jesus did rise. He wanted to put his fingers in the holes in his hands and stick his hand in his side where he was pierced. He needed proof. So we know that there was doubt that Jesus was going to rise. And now the one whom they, especially the 11 who had been with him every day for three years, who had given up everything to follow him, he was dead. He was dead. Hanging lifeless on a wooden cross, blood staining his body. The fluids that spilled out from his body when he was pierced in the side, were laying in a puddle on the ground next to him. Dead. The king of kings and lord of lords is dead. And he had to be dead. He had to be dead. Because Isaiah um, 53.10 prophesies this. Yet it was the will of the lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. So as hard as it is for us to come to grips that Jesus the innocent was crucified and is now dead. It had to be so. Because without his death there is no hope of forgiveness. Hebrews 9:11 through 12 says this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is Not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means by blood of goats and calves. But by means of his own blood. By means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Ours. Verse 22 in Hebrews 9 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. These verses show us that Jesus is the high priest. He's the high priest. And by his death, the shedding of his blood, he entered once and for all into the Holy of Holies and by his own blood secured our eternal, never-ending salvation for those of us who put our faith and trust in him. Because of verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there isn't any forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus had to shed his blood. He had to die. And Pastor Matt told us that we needed to read Psalm 22 this week and to read it many times. And I hope we did. And we've looked at it a lot over the last several weeks. And this is what it says in verses 30 and 31 in Psalm 22. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Jesus has done it. He has done it. He has completed the work of atonement for our sin. Never again will there need to be another sacrifice. Not another animal will need to shed its blood for our sins because Jesus completed the work. And we shall proclaim Jesus and his righteousness forever and ever to a people yet not born. Amen. Hallelujah. This is all good news because Jesus did die. He was buried and he did rise. And as we'll look at next week about his resurrection hallelujah he has risen he has risen indeed remember that next week because you're going to get asked that a lot so when i say he is risen. risen amen amen because jesus shed his blood he died and was buried for our sins our sins have been bought and paid for it was a very expensive price the rest of this passage in this section, we get a little bit of information regarding the burial, the type of burial that Jesus had. We look at Nicodemus, as we're going to borrow from the first verse, Nicodemus's Nicodemus' gift, his generous gift of 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, which is a lot. Zane and I were talking about how heavy that must be the, and how unwieldy that must be to, to carry 75 pounds of that around with you. Imagine carrying 75 pounds of, of myrrh and spices around. That's a lot. I don't know if I could do it. You know, you figure it's, we figured it was like a carrying a bag of cement, only much more unwieldy because a bag of cement is compact. Imagine how big a bundle that must have been. This is the amount that a king would be buried with. This is the proper amount to bury and hide the scent of death the king of glory Jesus the Christ Joseph's gift was a garden tomb a tomb that Matthew said Joseph had previously cut into a great stone with a rolling rock to close it and there are a couple things to point out regarding this and first that this burial fulfills another prophecy in Isaiah 53 9 Isaiah 53 9 says and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Jesus was buried among the wicked, among sinners, in a rich man's tomb where no one had laid before. Jesus was in a new tomb that a king would be buried in. Verse 40 says that Jesus was buried according to the custom of the Jews at the time. And this also is important for us to know because Jews were not embalmed. But Romans were. And the embalmment of a person required removing organs and then filling it with the fluid, meaning the body would not be whole. It's important to keep in mind that Jesus would be resurrected in three days as a whole person. Nothing would be removed or put into his body that wasn't there before. His whole body, as it was buried, was raised again. That's important. So why are these details important for us to remember? Because God is about the details. Sometimes we think the details might be boring, but every detail that God has, every word that God put in the Bible, everything that we read in this book is what God wants us to know about him. So all of the details that we have regarding the burial of Jesus, are important. Again, it's good news for us because in all those details, all of us were made with a purpose as well, that all of us matter to God. All of us do. He never makes a mistake. So I don't want to hear anyone say that I'm nothing, that I don't matter, that if I wasn't here, nobody would care. God knows if you wouldn't be here. God cares he created you in his image because you matter to him he has a purpose for your life know this know this and take that as hope especially in those days when it feels like the world is crushing down on you to know that he is with you do you know God and if you don't then today is the day that you should But now that we have established the importance of Jesus' burial, let's look at some of the details of what Spurgeon refers to as the royal funeral. The courage of Joseph and Nicodemus in verses 38 and 39. And it says to remind us of where we're at here, he says, After these things, Joseph Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of, of the Jews, asked, Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission so he came and took away his body and Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds in weight so we read in verses 38 and 39 that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus both prominent men in Jewish society Joseph is described in Matthew's account of the burial as being a rich man. Mark and Luke describe him as being a good and righteous man, as a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Israel. (coughs) According to Luke, Joseph did not consent to the ruling and decision of the council on Jesus. In fact, John describes Joseph as a secret disciple. A disciple meaning a learner a follower of Jesus and his teachings. could argue he's a Christian. But Joseph, fearful of what the Jews would say and do, went secretly to Pilate to ask for his body. Now, Pilate granted Joseph his request. And this is also important to note because this was not common. Pilate did not have to give Jesus' body to him. Common practice was to give the body to the immediate family. To deal with. And some scholars say because Jesus was crucified on the charge of treason, normally his body would be left to hang and have been thrown into a pile of other crucified criminals. So why would Pilate grant Joseph's request? Why would he do that? D.A. Carson writes: a Pilate agreeing to the request probably reflects the governor's conviction that Jesus was not really guilty and may have been a final snub against the Jewish authorities. In verse 39, we read of Nicodemus, who was first introduced to us in John 3, when he came to Jesus in the night. John describes him also as a part of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus came to Jesus that that night after seeing some of the miracles and things that he had done. And he recognized that he must be from God because nobody could do the things that Jesus did unless he came from God. And as a student of the scriptures, he knew Jesus may be the one. He might be the one we've been looking for. He was saying, I want to know who he is. So he came to him in the night. And Jesus told him that unless a person was born again, he could not see the kingdom of God He explained to Nicodemus that to be born again meant to be reborn spiritually, not to be placed in your mother's womb and born again. He explained that to be reborn means to look to Jesus, the Son of Man, and believe in him and who he is, to be saved and have eternal life. Jesus explained to Nicodemus that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus into the world to save it. Let's read John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in God. So imagine Nicodemus remembering this conversation, having it resonate in his mind, this encounter that he had with Jesus. And now he is coming out into the light as Christ called him to come out into the light. With Joseph, both of them courageously exposing themselves as followers of Jesus, the one who had just died. They wanted Jesus to be honored, to have a proper burial, a burial that was fit for a king. They are sticking their necks out, their reputations and their livelihood and their positions as leaders with the Jews. They are trusting Christ. Two prominent Jewish leaders, not any of the 11 remaining disciples came forth. Where are they at? The ones who spent all their time with Jesus the last three years. Where were they? Well, we know that John apparently was there because Jesus gave him his mom, but he didn't come forward. Why were they so hesitant? Charles Spurgeon, who preached on this sermon on October, or on this passage on October 7th, 1888, says it this way, and I'm honest, I can't preach like he does. So we're going to say what he said. Now we have two mourners for our master's funeral, John and James. Where are you? They cannot hear my question. Peter and Bartholomew, where are you? They are too far away. They cannot hear me. Who will follow the body of Jesus to the grave? Who will be the chief mourner? But how honorable to Christ was it that the first two and the chief mourners on that sorrowful occasion should be two members of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two men of note, two reputable individuals who were held in honor even among the Jews who crucified Christ. Two men who did not walk a day with Jesus for three years, but followed him secretly behind him what would you have done? If you put yourself in that position, what would you have done? So the big question through all of this this morning for us to think about is, is are we secret followers of Jesus? Are we hiding in the dark because we're fearful of what other people think of us? How willing are we to put our livelihood our reputation, our, posi- our positions on the line by stepping out in faith to identify ourselves as followers of Christ. We are called to do that very thing. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny them before the Father who is in heaven. Do you acknowledge Jesus before others? Or do you hide in your faith behind, afraid of what would happen to you if you expose yourself as a Christian? Or do you just not believe in him at all? Do you deny Jesus? Why are you here today if you would deny Jesus? To come on Palm Sunday to hear a message about Jesus and his death. Why would you be here if you were denying him? There'd be no point to it. If I were you, I'd find something else to do. But as Jesus points out, if you deny him, there are dreadful consequences for eternity. He will deny you before the Father. The wrath of God for your sins will be on you. They'll be on you because you denied the one who could save you the one who took the wrath of god for your sins upon himself as we have been looking at for the last several weeks why would anyone who has been here through the last month or even five or ten years and heard all the messages about christ not put your full faith and trust in him that's ridiculous what a waste of time but if you have put your faith and trust in him then you need to step out into the light if you are secretly following him in the dark it is time to step out like joseph and nicodemus did acknowledge him before men and he will acknowledge you before the father Let's conclude with one more Spurgeon quote from this passage. He says, Let us go to this grave, but not to weep there, nay, not to shed so much as a single tear. The stone is rolled away. Our Lord's precious body is not there, for Christ has risen from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, God, for this message we thank you God for the fact that we know that you were buried we know that you died we know that you did this for your father but you also did it out of love for us and we thank you so much God that you've given us the ability to have our sins forgiven the shedding of your blood Lord allows us to have forgiveness so father let us not let us not take that for granted Let us step out into the light as followers of Jesus so that you will acknowledge us before your Father. Lord, thank you again. And if there is someone here today who is still holding out, who is not acknowledging you and is denying you, I pray, God, that today they would put their faith and hope in you.